Our guest today is Alyssa Cole, pronouns she and her. Alyssa is an award-winning author of critically acclaimed historical, contemporary, and sci-fi romance and thrillers. Her royal rom-com, A Princess in Theory, was one of the New York Times' 100 Notable Books of 2018. When she's not working, Alyssa can usually be found watching anime or wrangling her pets. Thank you so much for sitting down with us today, Alyssa. Thanks for inviting me. So we just read your super duper mad official bio, but <laughs> tell us in your regular ass words, what do you do? Um, I think my official title would be Island Hermit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I write um, historical romance, sci-fi uh contemporary and i also have a thriller coming out next year that's um a thriller with romantic elements i mm. guess how many books have you published since 2014 uh, i don't know i was trying to count and i kind of lost <laughs> so, track <laughs> so i figured i would just ask so this year i finished my two after this year i have three completed series um off the grid has three books uh, that's sci-fi. The Loyal League is historical civil war fiction, and that has three books. Reluctant Royals is three books and two novellas. Um, then I also have my first book is not in print anymore. I think Eagle's Heart, which was a romantic suspense. Um, then I have a few novellas as well. And so that's like at so, least fifteen. Yeah, something around that. Jesus Christ. Right. <laughs> That's inspiring. As someone who has written only five, I'm trying to get where you at. Look, I'm just trying to well, journal every day. <laughs> I actually don't. I don't journal because I'm like. I it feel feels like, like work. That, yeah. What did you want to be when you grew up? Mm. Well, I always wanted to be a writer. I also wanted to be a comic book artist at hmm. some point when I was a kid. And now I've been trying to start drawing again, like just because I used to really love it. And I kind of stopped doing it because I figured, oh, if I, you know, I'm never going to be good enough to do that. And then I started looking at when comic book artists post their drawings from when they were younger. And I was like, oh, man, <laughs> I should have like, I can do that. I should have kept trying. Um, but also just because I enjoy it. But yeah, I always wanted to be a writer. I also at one point wanted to be um, an Egyptologist. Mm. I think that's just, you know, 90s Egypt stuff was really big. <laughs> hieroglyphs were really so big. So tell me you had the hieroglyphic ne <laughs> necklace with your name, hieroglyphs. <laughs> I had the hieroglyph stamp set where you could mm. I had that forward. too. Book I fair. Like, yes, book fair. <laughs> I forgot about that. So how did you settle on work? How did you settle on writing? Um, you seem like you did have a varied career path past. How was writing what you settled on? Um, well, 
I mean, it, it was weird. So I never, I always wanted to be a writer, but I didn't really know what being a writer was. Like, hmm. I started, my mom has this whole story that I've told before, but where she, you know, it's a mom's story, so I don't know if it's entirely true, <laughs> but. <laughs> they like to embellish. <laughs> but basically that when I was a kid, uh, when I was like two, I would have my notebook that I needed to write in before bed, even though I didn't know how to write. I would like draw pictures hmm. and have to tell my little stories. Ooh. But I definitely remember like starting to write when I was a kid, um, starting to write short stories. But yeah, basically, I kind of always liked writing um, in school and in high in grammar school and high school. I used to love doing the writing exercises and creative writing. And in college, I majored in English and, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. <laughs> I was just like, something will happen. Um, and I did some creative writing, but it did like it always seemed like something I would do at some point in the future, even though I had teachers that encouraged me and professors that encouraged me that were like, oh, you know, you should do something with this. And I was just like, yeah, maybe one day. Um, and then at a certain point, I realized, like, what am I waiting for? Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually because I started reading um, Literatica. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because I was looking for stories with black women. Um, and I was like, oh, I found the Literatica site. And so I was reading stuff and I was like kind of inspired. I was like, these people, you know, are posting every week. They're really sticking to a schedule and getting their stories done. Um, and so then I posted a few things on there. And then eventually, then, you know, I, of course, stopped. I didn't finish the story. But then eventually I found out about um, National Novel Writing Month. Mm-hmm. And like, November. you know, there were a few things that happened. I think, honestly, some of it is traceable to Twilight, too. Hmm. Yeah, because it was a huge fanfic, uh, sort of like, rush around that. Yeah, and I didn't write fanfic. I read some of it sometimes, but I wasn't even really big into it. But for some reason, I felt like there was this kind of, like, thing in the air, like, oh, romance and, like, this is something accessible. Um, people really can like I was reading about like all of the Twilight Mania stuff and like um, learning about fanfic and stuff like that. And I was just like, okay, maybe I'll really give this a try this time. So then I ended up doing National Novel Writing Month with like using a couple of the chapters from the stuff I had started on Literatica, mm-hmm. and then ended up writing, finishing that, and that was the first book. Um, I had that eventually got published later, which was called Eagle's Heart and was about um, a Brooklyn teacher and an Albanian CIA agent. And yeah, so then after that, I just, I joined um, my local RWA chapter. I mean, don't want to get into RWA right now. Girl. (laughs) Oh, we'll talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) But my local chapter, um, and then I, you know, started getting into more things. Um, I had a friend who was a librarian and we, um, I started going to like events. There were starting to be more romance events in Brooklyn at least where I was living at the time um, at Word Bookstore. So I started just kind of seeing that this was a real thing I could do uh, like in romance specifically. And like I always, I liked all kinds of books, but I think I always kind of liked the happy ending and happily ever after, especially because 
even when I was a kid, like the stuff I would write could sometimes get very dark. Hmm. So kind of knowing that there's going to be a happily ever after, no matter what, um, no matter how dark the story gets, like everything I write now isn't really like that. But um, and I just like, you know, the good feeling you get when you finish reading a, a romance. So I gravitated toward that. And um, yeah, so and then I met people, started doing anthologies, self-pub anthologies with like historical fiction for featuring marginalized uh, people from characters from marginalized backgrounds. Hmm. Um, and then like, yeah, little by little things just started to come together. Um, my first series got picked up because I did um, an online, a Twitter pitch. Was, wow. I, like where you pitch the book and it wasn't 200, it was like 140 characters back then. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was how Off the Grid got picked up by um, Karina. I mean, I was also getting rejected a lot at that point, too. I'm only That's telling, the way. I'm only, mentioning, I'm only mentioning the good parts that are happening, but, like, you know, my other stuff was getting rejected, and the things that eventually got published were getting rejected by everyone else. Mm. Um, so one thing I always tell people is that you only need one person. <laughs> you only need yes. one person to, like, to believe in the book. Um and for me, it has, it always seemed like it would be like, and even after I got an agent, it would be like, everyone was like, no, no, can't connect, blah, blah, blah. But then the last person, you know, it only takes one person. Um, rejection sucks, but, you know, at the end of the day, every editor is not the reader or the person for your book. So right. as long as you find one person eventually, but yeah. But yeah, so then eventually, and um, then I just started, you know, writing more and more. And eventually I started writing full time a couple years ago. Your books are really set everywhere, like from modern day New York City to Civil War era Virginia. You have protagonists who spy, who create inclusive online communities, <laughs> who discover that they're royalty. What pushes you to dip into so many different areas and where do you draw your inspiration? Um, I don't know. I think I just get interested in different things and then I want to write about it. <laughs> and like I did, you know, I get a lot of see something on the news. For example, Princess and Theory. Part of it was because um, at my job, it was during the time when like Nigerian spam mail was really um in the news all the time and even at my job i was getting spam mail all the time like saying like oh you could win this or you can get this money or you know mail order brides and stuff like that so then i think i was just most of it just starts as like what if what if the spam mail saying that you're betrothed to a, a an african prince is actually real right um and like for a duke by default was actually based on um i saw an article about a modern day swordsman in edinburgh who was looking for an apprentice and i was like that would make a great romance and i actually got to talk to him and interview him before i wrote a duke by default oh wow um so there is a real sword bay <laughs> i don't talk <laughs> about him because i don't i don't want <laughs> i don't want anyone bothering him or i don't think he really wants to is ready for all of a romance. The attention, yeah. right? 
<laughs> but maybe maybe one day he'll want to step into the spotlight. Um, but there are still modern day sword makers in Edinburgh. But like just thinking about, yeah, it's basically just like what if to get random ideas and all different kinds of things from judging on what I'm re- um, based on what I'm reading, what I'm watching, and then uh, kind of take it from there. And like off the grid was around the time when prepping started to get really popular because everyone was worried about like the end of the world mm-hmm. in uh, 2012, <laughs> uh, which seems like so long ago, but. Um, so yeah, just kind of taking things from the world around me and um, getting ideas about like, but then what if two people fell in love? Right, in the middle of all of that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Like the Civil War, but kissing. <laughs> um, <laughs> which was not easy to sell, I'll tell you people. Right. I bet. But going back to Can't Escape Love, what do you want readers to take away from it? Um, I think kind of just the idea of following your dream, um, finding people who support you or who in some way help make you able to achieve your dream. Um, I don't know if that sentence just made sense because as I said, I'm kind of brain brain dead. From uh from being on deadline, but yeah, I think I, and also just the fact that you know in all of my stories and especially in the Reluctant Royals series, the fact that love is for happily ever afters are for everyone. Yes. Um, any particular um disability, neurodivergency, trauma, um, or anything that people might hold against you in the real world that we live in unfortunately is no impediment to stopping you from being worthy of love Mm -hmm. or of deserving love without any and just a happy you know love that doesn't isn't contingent on you suffering for it or um not being able to just have you know a fluffy romantic comedy happily ever after That's what's up. And it kind of leads to our next question, like this idea of making sure that everyone is included and able to see themselves. So for those who don't know, there's a lot going on in the world of romance right now when it comes to equity and real inclusion for writers of color. And you, my dear, have been instrumental in calling out racism in places like the Romance Writers of America, RWA, that really seem hellbent on keeping Romance Landia white. My question for you is, what do you think needs to shift in this industry right now? Um, right now, well, I think there definitely needs to be more people of color. Um, that is changing a lot. I mean, compared to a few years ago, but I still don't think we've reached a point of like anywhere near where we need to be, um, especially compared to the demographics of the U.S. and also the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there needs to be more queer romance, um, more lesbian romance, more bisexual romance. MM is a whole 
separate um, category. It's not super represented in traditional publishing. Mm. Um, and right now I'm talking about traditional publishing, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, not everyone wants to be trad pub, but for me, I see it as um, a normalizing factor. When folks can be way, traditionally published. Yeah. yeah. Um, the same way seeing, for example, when you see a commercial with a gay couple or you see a commercial with a lesbian couple, um, kind of it's out there showing the world that it's normal because it is. Mm-hmm. And um, just kind of also allowing people to feel included. And I don't even like the word included because it's like included is the shitty ass rwr cover uh, <laughs> with the white woman helping the black, the black woman woman <gasps> up the mountain did you see the the remix that somebody did with somebody with her yeah. pushing her down when she fell and her shoe flew off <laughs> <It died. laughs> that was amazing um but like see and this is the problem with talking about like diversity inclusion is that it makes white straight people the baseline Mm -hmm. and it's like why right why is it that we should be aspiring (laughs) to be in your club yeah like i mean for me and like i said i grew up in jersey city most of the people around me were not white um and so it's always uh, i mean i'm american so i understand racism and all that it's not like or and it's not even like that was some kind of like utopia without racism just because there weren't that many white people but the idea that this is like something strange or something that needs to be taken slowly or Mm -hmm. i don't know it's just weird to me i'm like this is what the world is like why do we have to act like we need to like only go ahead in small doses Mm. um so i think I think there needs to definitely be more queer people. There need right now. I don't think there are. One thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is I do not think there are any trans trad pub romance authors. Um, there's no reason for this, right. especially people of color, because uh, we've been looking for folks yeah. for the show. Um, I know there are people writing who are self-pubbing or who have been published by um, smaller presses. But like for me at this point, I don't see any reason why they're and and, you know, sometimes people are like, well, did they submit? (sighs) I mean, do they submit their books? And like, number one, yes. (laughs) But even if they didn't, editors are fully capable and all the time go out and reach out to people and yes, say, right. hey, would you know, I've read something from you. Would you be interested in writing? Literally a, how it works. You know, so-and-so kind of book. Mm-hmm. So um, for me right now, I don't see any excuse. And I think that needs to change amazingly, you know, as fast as possible. We literally just want, you know, people from all marginalized backgrounds who are romance writers literally just want to write love stories <laughs> with happily ever afters and we can't do that without having to assert the fact that we are fucking human beings mm-hmm. <laughs> and like worthy of love and like i you know a lot of the time i'm able to 
I guess, just not deal with that because you can't really deal with that all the time. But it's absurd. Like, why do we have to fight to write a story where someone falls in love with you? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, when you, I mean, most racism, all racism, bigotry, when you really get on the face of it, is absurd. But, like, for me particularly, the fact that it's, like, you have to fight to write a story where two... Most people look down on romance in general. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we don't. But, like, you can't even just without any problem write a story with two people who meet and fall in love and whatever happens in your particular romance like you have to become a freaking activist to write a love story Mm. (laughs) um and it's ridiculous and you know with rwa with everything going on in the world rwa like i honestly don't know what the fuck they're doing they don't either Um, except for being racist it seems to me to be a backlash, just like, you know, in the United States. It's just the microcosm of the United States mm-hmm. of what's going on, and all over the world, to be honest, um, where there has been a period of growth of more diversity and uh, people from different backgrounds, and then people being like, you know what? No, fuck this. <laughs> like, I would rather burn the whole shit down. <laughs> Then let you in. <laughs> like, think about, for for me, just thinking about how much money they've lost. How much money they've lost in the past two weeks. Mm-hmm. From people mm. not renewing their, their memberships. <laughs> yeah. They canceled the Rita, so they're going to have to refund all that money. Yeah. Everyone is pulling out of the nationals. And conferences are how most of these organizations make you know, the biggest, mm-hmm. the, a good chunk of their money. And folks are now um, refusing to speak. Like we saw Beverly Jenkins is like, nah, son, not doing it. Yeah. So they did this to themselves. And like, it's getting all this press. The organ, they also, but the main thing for me, I'm at this point, I'm like, fuck them. But also they have all of this money. They have all of this infrastructure. And for me, that's the biggest thing. And especially given what I write, um, like with the historicals and some of the things I've been working on, the idea that things get built either by people from marginalized backgrounds. RWA was started by a black woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they get built by people from marginalized backgrounds or you know multicultural groups, and eventually the mar- you know the marginalized people get pushed out, and then the white straight people are left with all the money, all the infrastructure, the marginalized people have to start again and hope that it doesn't happen at the next organization, Mm -hmm. the next town, the next, you know, whatever. And it's just this kind of, for me, that was one of the things that really messed with my head because it's like, this is just the cycle. (laughs) Like you, you know, and how do we get past this? Um, I'm ho- I'm trying to stay optimistic, but it's just like um, because I was at the RWA conference this past summer, and I've gone to the last five, the last four or five, and like for me this was the one that really felt there were a lot of you know um, authors of color, there were a lot more queer authors, there were a lot more people who were deciding to give romance. RWA a chance and to see if they could be a part of this community and it actually felt more like a community 
um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that things happened, but like overall, the sense was we're moving forward. Um, for me, I, I was telling my friend, I was like, there were enough black women that I didn't like, I wasn't able to nod at every black woman I saw. <laughs> <laughs> so, was like, so like that, you know, and they're all different kinds of people. And um, the Rita ceremony was a celebration of the back, you know, the rich, the diversity, the, fo- the people who built RWA. And I think that's probably what really set them off mm. because that was at the end of July. And then this actually started in August because Courtney received the initial complaint in August. Um, And like the situation happened, I guess, in August around that time. But like the fact that they actually pushed this complaint through, I feel like is not unrelated to the fact that it was just after the most diverse um, and inclusive conference that they'd ever had. And just to give our listeners a little bit of context, that complaint was basically they, these two white women complained that Courtney was calling them out for their racism. So the, I think the question that comes to mind right now is it's clear that there need to be more black women and other people of color writing in this genre. What advice do you have specifically for black women who want to do what you do? Um, I would say the hardest thing is not getting dejected. Um, rejection sucks. It happens a lot. Even when you don't have, you know, even when you're not black and you don't have other marginalization stacked onto it. Um, then you add those on mm-hmm. <laughs> and it gets even harder. Um, so I think you know, sometimes you're going to want to give up. Um, you know, there have been times when, you know, people thought I was on top of the world and I was like, fuck this. <laughs> I'm like, I'm done with this. Um, so it's a hard business and it's especially hard when, like I said, you feel like you always have to be kind of on your guard and like defending your humanity to a certain extent. Um, but I would say, write what you want to write. Don't keep pitching agents, keep pitching editors, talk to editors. And so one thing I have noticed is that um, black women are less likely to reach out. I'm trying to think of how to say this. I've had random white women come up to me and ask me for favors. <laughs> the uh, People I do not know. Um, and they feel confident enough to walk up to me and be like, oh, I wrote this book. And like, you know, that's fine. But I feel like we have been conditioned not to ask for things, mm-hmm. not to ask for help, mm-hmm. mm. to assume that people won't help us because... You know, sadly, on some level, it's true. But I think um, to just not be afraid for people to say, to hear no, to be, uh, obviously, you know, there's a line to be crossed where you could start being like weird, but like (laughs) not to be afraid to, you know, if you want to know something, ask someone. Um, 
they might not tell you or they might not be able to tell you, but you can ask and find out um, if you want to pitch someone. And like, I mean, I think a lot of people are in a way, especially people who have been in the industry for a long time at a certain point were a bit traumatized Mm -hmm. because like rejection sucks and people were getting mostly rejected by traditional publishing. So I think um, it's it's hard to say like just keep trying because that <laughs> you know that's not very helpful when you feel like crap and uh, someone told you they can't relate to your character. But um, in a way, it's kind of like part of what you have to do. Like um, I was telling someone that for me, like I get rejected a lot but I have a lot of ideas. Some of those ideas don't get rejected. Hmm. Um, The rest of them, I try to eventually, or not even try to, eventually sometimes they pop up in other um, stories. Like for example, the AI Who Loved Me, which was my Audible original. um, It started out, part of it was a story about um, a robot, a hot robot guy. that didn't go anywhere, um, a project that didn't go anywhere. Um, I also had a, a YA, I wrote a whole proposal and everything, a kind of futuristic dystopian thing. Everyone was like, no, this isn't, this isn't working. Um, but then, so that didn't go anywhere. But then when I had to think of the, what I wanted to pitch for the Audible original, I kind of had these pieces for something that didn't work alone, but when I kind of mashed them together, it ended up working really well mm. together. So even though when you work hard on something and it gets rejected, sometimes that's something that is gonna be a stepping stone to something even better in the future or um, a different kind of project, or maybe it's gonna be you know useful to you in some other way. Um, so, but I think a lot of it is, you know, I don't want to say don't be afraid because, you know, it makes sense to be afraid of being hurt <laughs> again and again. Um, but maybe try to think about each pitch and each possible rejection as um, something that could lead to something good in the future. Like, for example, my. I work with my editor, Erica Sang, at um, Avon, and she rejected the first book I sent her. Um, and then, you know, she was like, maybe send me something in the future. And I was like, oh, she's probably just saying that. You know, she's just <laughs> saying that to be nice, whatever. But, you know, then I sent her something and it worked. <laughs> she liked the next thing I sent her. So also don't assume that one rejection means that you are going to, that person doesn't want anything from you ever. Um, the same thing with my first agent, I had sent her something and she was like, no, this doesn't work for me. Um, send me something else. And then the next time I sent her something, it worked for her and it was something she thought she could sell. So sometimes, you know, sometimes you're going to be rejected multiple times by the same person. (laughs) (laughs) You just keep going until it works. It's not a no, it's just a not right now. Exactly. Which seems counterproductive because like sometimes people say not right now and they're lying. Like, you know, (laughs) it's hard. It's hard to figure out. But sometimes you just have to hope that they're not lying 
and see what happens because sometimes they really do you know are like okay i'm not going to be able to sell this um but like it's hard when you are a black romance writer or you're from another marginalized group because that's the same excuse that's often mm-hmm. used to keep us out or to say um i don't you know we're not going to be able to sell this so i mean and, you know in a way publishing is like kind of just a gaslighting <laughs> a gaslighting industry where you have to just have faith in yourself mm-hmm. um, and you know really and that faith is not always going to be there you're going to have low times uh, you're going to have days or weeks or months where you're like why am I even doing mm-hmm. this or why am I putting myself through this but I think you know in the end um, keep trying is all that you can do and like don't be afraid to pitch your weird ideas um if you can have beta you know critique partners beta readers um people who you can build a community with who are at the same stage as you um and who you can you know relate to and also grow together um okay and yeah, read, read, see, and like I, you know, some, I would say read and see what's doing well, but that honestly is only part of it because you don't really want to write the same right. thing as what's yeah, doing you well. Wanna... <laughs> so, so, so read what you like. Gap, yeah. Read what you like, and um, see what that makes you want to write. All right. What's next for you? Next, um, right now, I. Uh, next year the spinoff series from Reluctant Royals which is Runaway Royals um, the first book is How to Catch a Queen and it is um, if you've read A Prince on Paper the couple in that book they make an appearance in that book and it's a couple who are already married and who had an arranged marriage Um, but their marriage comes with a marriage trial um so they can, you know, it's hard. To, <laughs> it's hard to explain right now because of uh, my brain, you know, leaking out of my ears. But basically, it's a, a couple with an arranged marriage, um, and she has trained for her entire life to be a queen. Um, she really wants to be a queen for her own personal reasons. And um, she finally, she also this character, the heroine, showed up at the end of a prince. A princess in theory mm-hmm. she was briefly there as the woman who his parents um brought in to be his fiance when they didn't approve of uh Nality. but uh, she's there literally for like a couple of pages um but i was like you know she kind of had a messed up <laughs> she kind of had a messed up uh cameo in that book so i wanted to give her a happily ever after <laughs> oh, I love that. so basically she finally doing right by your she character. finally yeah. finally does that come out in 2020 or does that come out in 2021? In 2020. Oh, yay. And then um, I have a thriller coming out in September, um, which is a the gentrification thriller Ooh. called Erased. And it's basically a woman um, who has recently moved back to her Brooklyn neighborhood. And uh, her neighbors are all starting to move away um everything is changing and she decides to make a walking tour she does a walking tour 
and um, they only talk about like the rich white people who live there in mm. the past. So she decides to make her own walking tour um, and ends up getting an assistant and one of the new neighbors who has moved in. And um, they start to possibly discover a conspiracy behind uh, the gentrification of the neighborhood. Ooh, this sounds like real life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now, honestly, when I was writing it, I was like, none of this is really that right. funny. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah. Sadly. For folks who want to find you and to keep up with what you have going on next so that they can get those books, um, where can they find you? Um, you can find me on my website at alyssacole.com. Um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram as alyssacolelit, L-I-T, and I also am starting, um, restarting my newsletter, um, and it's going to be based on Girls with Glasses, which is Ooh. the website in mm. Can Escape Love. And the first one is launching on January 10th, and hopefully it will be out ev- about every two weeks. That's dope. And folks can subscribe to that via your website? Um, yes, once I Good reminder. That is awesome. Uh, <laughs> well, we're so glad you talked to us today. We uh, are huge fans and have read several of your books. So we're really excited that we got to share one of your books on the show this season and that we got to talk to you. So thank you for that. No, thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Turn On. Bye. This episode was produced by us, Erica and Kenria, and edited by Ballistic. The theme song is from Brazy. We want to hear from y'all. Send your book recommendations and all the burning sex and related questions you want us to answer to the Turn On Podcast at gmail.com. And please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at the Turn On Pod and Instagram at the turn on podcast and find links to our books transcripts guest info and other fun stuff at the and remember the turn on is now a part of the frolic podcast network you can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcast thanks for joining us and we'll see you soon holla <laughs>